Ohio Police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices radio news program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today is Susan Bro, who's become a very good friend, but you probably know and heard of Susan Bro because she is the mother of Heather Heyer and the co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation with Alfred Wilson of Miller Law Group. Heather Heyer was the 32-year-old who was killed on August 12, 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. I've invited Susan Bro to talk with us today to tell us more of her story before, during, and after the murder of her daughter. First of all, Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be invited. Well, it's my pleasure as always to talk to you, even when we're not on radio. I want everyone to understand, as I was saying before we came on air, your a, a bit more of your history. People see you on television, they hear you on radio, you speak publicly in huge auditoriums, uh, before Congress, etc. But I want people to understand you don't just show up. There's a lot of hard work that goes into that. So let, let's even give some backstory. You told me recently you were a school teacher. Tell us a, a bit about your school teaching days. I didn't come into the teaching profession until... Um in the 80s, so I was, I can't do the math, I was late in life. <laughs> I had two so you were a mature teacher. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you'd say that even, but teaching is a very demanding profession, and I came into it as a single mom of two small children. At that time, in the late 80s, there were not a lot of single moms in the teaching profession. Huh. Um, starting in the teaching profession, I should say. And Heather was just a little baby. She was just, had just learned to walk, hadn't really started talking a whole lot yet. And her brother was five years older, so he started out in, I guess, first grade, gosh, second grade. No, he was in second grade when we took my first teaching job. And it was a hard travel. Uh, we lived with my parents part of that. Part of that, we lived on our own. 
But mm. after the first three years, I vowed I would never teach again. <laughs> 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 and, um, I took a five-year break and then decided I had my head on a little more straight mm-hmm. uh, because I was also going through a divorce at the time I started teaching. Uh, um, uh-huh. Once my emotional turmoil kind of settled down, I moved to where I am now and started teaching. In 95, I moved into a single wide trailer, and I still live in that single wide trailer. And my parents had to help with the down payment. You know, times were hard. Yes. And the getting teacher salaries don't pay a lot. Yes. Uh, they pay a lot better now than they once did. But, you know, I, I suspect teachers still struggle. I you, usually work two or three jobs at once trying to make ends meet. I've often said I've done almost everything legal under the sun. I've never worked an illegal job, but I've, I've worked a lot of different legal ones mm-hmm. um, overlapping each other. And I left teaching when I had cancer in 2010. December of 2010, I left and had surgery in January 2011, fully expecting to have to go back to teaching. But the wound did not close for six months. I was flat on my back for a good bit of that, and so I said it was time to reevaluate my life. Mm. And um, went into being a government secretary and bookkeeper for seven years. Got married in 2013. Had a nine-to-five job with a steady paycheck, state benefits, and a regular schedule. You know, where I, w- I was off weekends, home at night home for lunch because I only worked five minutes away. Life was boring, but it was complete. Mm. Um, And then Heather was killed. I want to talk to you, of course, about the Heather Heyer Foundation, its mission, accomplishments thus far, its goals. I just, uh, you know, whenever I have conversations with you, Susan, I always think I'm ready, but you always get me. So, um... (laughs) <laughs> As you travel, I know you understand. As you travel, speaking for the Heather, or as even the Heather Foundation, Heather Higher Foundation spokesperson, how are your views on social justice issues evolving? Well, as I pulled my head out of the sand, like I said, life had seemed kind of boring, not, not because of family. Family life was always rich and full. But I definitely was in a state of mind where I was not paying attention very much. Probably the last year or or two before she was killed, Heather's activism online and in group conversations really started to wake me up and make me pay attention, but not nearly to the extent that it's evolved after she died. Mm. The first thing I had to do after she died was to dig in and see who the alt-right even was. Who were the neo-Nazis? Who were the leaders? Who who were these names that kept appearing for me? Why were they even here? What was their purpose? And that's where I started. And then I started looking even more deeply at racial injustice, social injustice for not only people of color, but for people of other gender identities, other gender preferences, and as the old saying goes, kind of got a fire in my belly to um, do something about it. Yes. 
Well, most, you know, a lot of people, and, I'm, and I know the, the agony goes on, but you get up every morning and you decide to go forward is all I can say. At least that's my impression of you, having watched that's you. Uh, much, because it's, it's a moment-to-moment decision sometimes. Yes. Are we still just at the beginning of Heather's legacy, or how far have we come? If you've been out there now for since, well, very soon after the tragedy. How are things going? Well, as you know, we formed the Heather Heyer Foundation because of all the donations that kept pouring in, even after the GoFundMe was closed. Yes. Uh, the, the first year, we gave out, well, the first fall, I should say, after her death, AIDS Healthcare Foundation in California reached out to us and did a Stand Against Hate campaign. They gave out $8,000 in scholarships. We gave out an additional 1000 in that campaign. Mm. Then in our regular high school scholarship, the summer of 2018, last summer, we gave out 3000 in scholarships, plus a little bit more to a kid who was pretty desperate mm. uh, just to survive. And this year, we managed to give out 7000 in scholarships to high schoolers plus one graduate school adult scholarship. Mm-hmm. And each of those is a thousand. Now, we're coming up on the second year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, not are either going to make it or break it by then. Mm. We're determined to make it. I, I know in the month of May alone, we've put in at least 6,000 in donations. I don't know how that compares to the other figures. I pretty much stay out of the finance stuff and stick to my part. Sure, I understand. uh, We are launching at the end of July our new initiative, finally, of Higher Voices, along with a group called The Sum, run by Elliot Cisneros. Mm -hmm. And we have a summer intern. It's actually Alfred Sun. He has been working very closely with us, so we're getting a newsletter out, a mini blurb out, kind of an info email, sending out quarterly now. So it's, it's good to see some of these these things happening. As we get closer to 2020, I'm also hoping to open some difficult conversation groups, yes, some workshops on critical thinking and how to fact check. It's going to be especially crucial in an election year, and maybe even do some voter registration workshops, looking to work with some other groups to hold workshops with high school students on how to fill out financial aid forms, how to fill out scholarship applications, how to write scholarship essays. So I'm I'm looking pretty excitedly at, at what's ahead. You, you know, and, and not everyone knows about what, what the foundation is doing. You've been speaking about what has been taking place with the Social Justice Youth Program and also the Foundation Scholarship Program. Is that what you've been describing? Yes. Okay. And the the difficult conversations, I, I must admit I'd forgotten about that. Uh, explain that to us. I know we've talked about that in the on radio before, but difficult conversations and relating to one another. Could you tell us a little more about that? Because that's quite something, too. Well, it, it seems that, particularly in America, but somewhat throughout the world, we've kind of forgotten 
how to talk about things. We want to yell things at each other. We want to get our point across. Mm. And we want to decry what we disagree with, but we don't want to try to find a, a, a middle ground. Now, I agree there are some things I'm not going to compromise about. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to support alt-right or neo-Nazi ideology, white supremacist ideology. I'm never going to support that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a, a bottom dollar. But I can and have been talking to individuals at times, and they will say things like, well, you need to be more worried about the Muslim sleeper cell in your backyard. And then when you start to talk statistics and information with them, they kind of say, oh, oh. The first thing we have to do in those difficult conversations is find a point of connection. It often takes people aback to realize, I still live in a single life trailer. Mm. I still shop at Walmart. I may not always agree with their philosophies on things, but I don't have much money, mm-hmm. so I'm going to shop there. You know, you just have to find similarities before you can even talk about differences. And that's hard for people to do when they're passionate about what they believe. Uh, and, and so passionate about what they disapprove of or disagree with to try and connect with the similarities first. I always, I've always, even my political mentors have told me this, but I've always said too, if you find out that one thing you agree on first and start a conversation in about that, you'll find that things can drift, you know, because conversations go that way. They bounce around. It's the way the human brain works. And suddenly you are in talking about things in a wider spectrum and uh, but you're not shouting at one another because you've been having this conversation. So I, right. I, I think it's a brilliant way to approach communication. How's that? And we once knew how to do that, but we've kind of forgotten it. Yes, yes. We used to sit around in coffee shops a lot, and and, and what were they pickle barrels and the stoves or something? My grandfather <laughs> used to tell me about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wonder, you know, just to, just to encourage everyone, we should mention, I'm assuming, I didn't ask you about this, so I'll ask you, everything needs money to survive. So is the Heather Higher Foundation still, because you mentioned the $6,000, are you still fundraising? And, and how does one make donations? And are they tax deductible, et cetera? Yes, we are a 501c3, so your donations are tax deductible. We send you a receipt. Donations can be made online at our website, www.heatherhirefoundation.com. We did not think to do a .org in the beginning, and there was so much frantically happening. You know, we opened this foundation only nine days after she was murdered. Yes. So that detail got biased, and someone else is holding .org as, as ransom. They want several thousand dollars to get, give us that. God. All right, but it does, I know. And I and I wanted to get back to my, I'm glad I asked that and that you answered it because it just hit me. Well, of course, they must still need money. But what I was starting to say, my initial thought for a question was, did you have any experience with creating a foundation as a formal or legal structure before co-creating the Heather Heyer Foundation? No, I had zero experience with anything like that. I had worked with the foundation, uh, working with 4-H through the government job that I had, but that's a state 
foundation and that gave me a little better understanding of what it's about but no I didn't have any experience that's why I turned to Alfred Wilson her supervisor from Miller Law Group and said can you help me with this he had experience both through his fraternity and through sports booster programs where his children had gone to school and he put it together so quickly and so nicely that normally it takes anywhere from six to 27 months to get your IRS letter of approval. We had ours in four months because Mm. Alfred had everything so clearly in, in place. So I think the lesson here is that in the midst of the a tremendous tragedy, losing a child to a violent act, trying to pull your head together to create something like this, it helps to have someone with legal wherewithal who can handle those details while you are being, well, while being the face of the foundation, the public face, in any case. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We are talking to my good friend, I'm glad to say, Susan Bro, who is the mother of Heather Heyer, who was murdered in Charlottesville, Virginia. I don't live in Charlottesville, Virginia full-time, but I was in Charlottesville, Virginia on August 12th. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was covering um, for, for this program a uh, NAACP training program on how to face combative violence by behaving non-violently. And, and just a few blocks away, our guest today, Susan Bro, was losing her daughter, Heather Heyer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, singer-songwriter Stoll Vaughn, singing Forgiveness. I got ghosts here in my way Yeah, they haunt me every day They got reasons and they got plans Take me out when they get their chance I can tell you why they're here But that won't make them disappear I ain't saying I'll forget it Oh, the wrongs will ever be right We're just talking about forgiveness How it gives you back your Gives you back your love And I know it's never easy Being torn apart That was singer-songwriter Stoll Vaughn, whose music can be found at www.stollvaughn.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is Susan Bro. Susan Bro is the mother of Heather Heyer, who was murdered in Charlottesville, Virginia, 
while attending what I believe was called a, a Unite the Right rally. She was there to, well, let's let her mother tell us. What, what drew, I know we've talked about that before, but what drew Heather, who was a paralegal, yes? Yes. And what drew and her? I'm sorry? And a bartender. And a bartender. All right. So what what made her go that day? Did she tell you she was going? And uh, She did not tell me. Uh, we had not discussed it. She probably didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to worry me. Mm. But um, from what I understand from her friends later, um, she saw where her friend Courtney was at U- the university that night with the Tiki Torch rally. Mm. And... Courtney was one of the ones on the sidelines yelling back, we will replace you. Yes, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, other slogans. And Heather saw that video and said, I have to go. Mm. Yeah. And her best friend said to her, don't go. You might get killed. And she said, no, I have to go. Wow. So um, I don't think she really thought she was going to get killed. Because when she arrived, she stayed away from the park itself. She was with a group who were not engaging directly with the, um, you know, there were the protesters for the Unite the Right rally. Yes. The counter-protesters were the people who opposed the Nazis, the alt-right, and the KKK. Yes. And Heather was a counter-protester, and she stayed away from the protesters for the most part. Now, when the protesters were actually packed up and leaving after um, Governor McAuliffe closed the um, rally, she she went into the parking lot to try to talk to one of the girls there because Heather's method of reaching you was to just simply ask, can I talk to you a minute? Can you tell me why you're here? Can you talk to me about why you feel this way? Can we just talk about it? And all the girl would say to her was, um, no comment, no comment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, she showed up to make a difference. She showed up to be an advocate and an ally. She did not intentionally show up to die. She she was not a um, self-martyr. She was not an assassin. She was not assassinated. Mm. She was a, a... she was a victim of what was intended to be a mass murder. Yes, yes. I think that's, you know, I, I can't imagine there's anyone listening who has not heard about this with all the national coverage as well as local coverage. But uh, to be clear to everyone, uh, he's been convicted now driving in reverse his car into a crowd of people, many of whom are still suffering with their injuries and, of course, with the trauma, mentally and physically, uh, their mental and physical health of trying to come back. Heather was the only person killed that day. She was not the only target. What do you have? What do you say to that, uh, Susan? Um, he admitted in court that he was intending to kill. Um, by driving into a crowd he perceived to be in support of Black Lives Matter. Mm. I, I said in the half subcommittee hearing on hate crimes that um, he 
killed my daughter because he perceived her to be either black or in support of being black. He drove into a crowd he saw that was in favor of Black Lives Matter, openly saying they were. And so it, it, at the time that he was initially charged, I believe it was the first time and only time that a white person killing a white person was charged as a racial hate crime. There has actually been another one in, I believe, Seattle or Portland that was also charged that way. Mm-hmm. Um, as a hate crime, white on white, uh, racially motivated. How do you feel? Um, it it must it must be a tug of war sometimes. How how do you feel about uh, the way? Uh, I mean, I I know a lot of um, uh, uh, well, my DC media friends, and as well as my Charlottesville media friends. The Charlottesville media friends were not uh, pleased that. Uh, national media came here and sort of made it a as they tend to do you know a bit of a a circus and and grabbing the the number one most uh what do i want to say most i'll just say noticeable part of the story while sort of ignoring everything else has there been um the reaction to heather's death and and your subsequent media exposure how's that has it how are things going with its overshadowing in some people's feelings, a belief? Uh, it overshadows the racial and religious discrimination uh, of the alt-right movement. And um, how have you had to deal with that? Um, there has understandably been a fair amount of, of backlash. Um, and I get it because it if you listen to the national media, particularly right after Heather was killed, mm. people were coming at me hard and fast with questions about Heather, and so I would answer questions about Heather, never thinking about the fact that it was taking away from what the issues were. And when one of the um, young activists, Diana Bryant, pointed that out on Facebook, I was like, oh my God, she's absolutely right. This is made out to look like a white savior complex, mm-hmm. where the... the the white person comes in like a shining star and just hands, you know, they're the whole reason for the event. Heather was very little known. She was not um, a public activist at all. She um, worked two or three jobs. She uh, took time when she could to hang with her friends and they liked to drink a little and play charades and, you know, they were just, uh, she was not not heavily into activism, except on a personal face-to-face kind of conversation and very much so on Twitter and, and um, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was an unfair representation. So I have worked very hard to redirect attention back to the issues that she died for, support of Black Lives Matter, support of equality and justice for mm-hmm. all marginalized groups and to get people to pay attention politically as to what candidates say and what they do and what officials say versus what they do mm-hmm. and trying to redirect that flow I, I still um, I still have a larger platform than I probably should because she's white 
but I'm trying to use that platform to draw attention back to where it should be. Yes. Um, people sometimes say to me, well, then why don't you shut up and sit down and, and give the mic over? Um, I do frequently. People know how often I divert to the press conference or my article or, um, you know, attention towards me to um, other anti-racist activists, to Black Lives Matter. Um, I do, but I do still have a story to tell, and I do still have, at least temporarily, I feel like I do still have, uh, so I'm 62 years old. I'm going to be 63 soon, and I feel like I have a very limited time to get to this work. Uh, it's not like I started in in my 20s, so I'm swimming upstream as fast as I can, mm-hmm. um, trying to make a difference, trying to get things to last after I'm I'm retired. Um, and I, I'll keep doing it as long as I'm effective and try to step aside when I become non-effective or actually a deterrent. Hmm. Well, you know, I would point out, too, uh, in, in your defense that of people who are not understanding, there are two things in my life I've discovered that uh, several um, African-American politicians who have requested to be on my show, and they've been great shows, and they've always said to me when off mic more than once that um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad truth, but... Um, you need someone that most people will listen to. You need a face that people will who need to hear the message. That's what they've said, uh, and and uh, sometimes that's just the way it is. Too many times, right or wrong. And I remember the second thing I wanted to mention. I wrote something once about um, the murder of Heather, and uh, and I mentioned a lot of the other people who were. Uh, injured in my article, but evidently that even that wasn't good enough for you because you you made a comment and added a couple of names I had left out, and I thought, wow, I would never forget that, never forget that. So I know you are out there personally. I know you are out there, and everything that you're doing in Heather's memory and for the foundation, you are doing for everybody, every hue, every faith. If you if you're a good person trying to do good things for all people, to be all-inclusive, uh, especially to get back to the, uh, the some of the specific programs that you're doing, this social justice youth program. How is that working? Well, we technically haven't started, but I've been holding back on this until I felt like we had safe legal frameworks in place uh-huh. to protect the kids and to protect the adults. Um, I also wanted very much to be careful about how we support the kids. Uh-huh. So the original concept came from one of our eight healthcare foundation uh, winners. And I would give out his name, but I don't know if he gives me permission or not. So okay. um, he's only in his second or third year of college. But um, he said, we need a program where the youth can develop campaigns on what they're interested in and not have the adults take over. He's 
so far, every youth program I've ever worked in, and he's very uh, much into activism and environmental justice, he said every program that I've ever worked in, the adults come in and they listen and they say, yeah, that sounds good, and then they take over. He said, we need something that lets us do it, but we get advice or support from the adult. Yes. Now, I take slightly more cautionary approach to that in that uh, I'm not willing to allow kids to put themselves in harm's way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to support that. Uh, any program that the kids do, we have to uh, insist that they be nonviolent and positive change. Uh, well, I was talking with Elliot Cisneros um, of the sum about how we best want to make sure that the adults have background checks, the mentors have background checks, and that we meet with the parents beforehand to discuss what it is we're trying to accomplish, how we're going to accomplish that, how do we encourage the kids to have positive, nonviolent, direct action in a way that is safe, but always with an eye to the outcome. Mm. So then we will ask them why. If you just want to make t-shirts and you're not really sure what your point is, then why do it? So what we're trying to do is focusing on the desired outcome, focusing on how to best, in a streamlined fashion, get to your goal. Don't get distracted by side projects that look pretty and flashy. If you're going to have a march, what's your point and what are you going to do afterward? Mm. And then there are logistics that they have to learn, like where you provide water for people. Is there going to be a need for security? Uh, What kind of budget are we going to come up with for this? And have them submit budget proposals. We're trying to teach the practicalities as well as have them work towards projects that they're interested in. You know, this, this is really excellent. You are preparing at least those who express an interest and can support their interest with specifics, plans, and goals, but you are training them how to be responsible activists. Is that too much right. or too little to say? Uh, no, I think that's a, a good way to put it. How to make the most efficient use of their time and resources. Because if we want them to continue to be activists, at some point they're going to have to accommodate a job, a personal life, perhaps marriage and, and children, lifelong activism, responsibility, accountability. Mm. So they've got to um, make it manageable. Mm. Take a project and just blow it up into this great big thing, and then you're left with a handful of, of loose ends and, and didn't really get where you wanted to go. We're going to try to teach them to avoid that. That is so impressive, Susan. I... I find it so impressive that you are really teaching young people who have a desire to be activists, to advocate for good causes, all-inclusive causes, and but making them understand the importance of not only the details of activism, but also that they must be full human beings prepared to fold their activism into a full human existence. Is, is, did I get that? much because the passion of youth will fade which they will probably find hard to believe (laughs) so they will get these patterns of thought 
ways of looking at things in place so that they become an automatic platform. And that's the way you sustain activism. I think activism has to be sustained. You know, Susan, I know you've said before that you're not trying to reinvent the wheel all by yourself. I'm just wondering, with something as that came out of tragedy, like the uh, Heather Heyer Foundation and putting it together so quickly, what did you have any other organizations, a group with which you worked on that? We have worked with a number of groups, actually. So on my board of directors is Mike Mallory, among others, and he's the head of Ron Brown Scholars. So his help has been invaluable, and they have done simple things like even have to show us how to do something on the computer in the beginning. We've also worked in the past with Listen First. We've worked with AIDS Healthcare Foundation out of California. We're currently working with the Lawyers Committee and the Arab American Institute on a piece of proposed legislation called the Khalid Jabbar Heather Heyer Hate Crime Reporting Act. And, you know, there's just so many things we can't do on our own. We're getting ready to launch the Higher Voices Youth Empowerment Program, along with a group called The Sum, who works on helping people develop their own personal empowerment and finding ways to promote justice and equity. So it's a good fit. Mm. Uh, we worked with the city of Charlottesville's Community Foundation and hope to continue working with them from time to time. We've worked with a group called The Front Porch, mm. which is another nonprofit that works on music education and talent development at all ages and does a lot of great things in Charlottesville. And they just helped us put on our fundraising concert. So you know how to collaborate, and with great success and fulfilling your mission with the Heather Heyer Foundation with great associations, and, and that, I think, is fantastic. Okay. Yeah, we're not trying to invent the wheel on our own. It's Alfred and myself are the closest to full-time. There's Alfred's son, Jamil, who's here for the summer and who will be coming in some on weekends to help with higher voices. There's... Um, my friend Kathy, who handles receipts, and that's the sum total of our organization as far as volunteers. Wow. So we have to work with other groups. Of course. One last question, and then I do want to give the website again before we go. Forgive me if this seems insensitive, but I, when I listen to you talk, I often wonder, I remember you saying to me that Heather used to always say, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. What? Yes. If someone else had been murdered that August day, 2017, what would your daughter Heather Heyer be doing in response, do you think? Well, at the time of her death, she was terrified of public speaking, but the girl never shut up. So <laughs> I wonder if she would not have been pushed to do more of what I'm doing. She would not have been given my platform. I got the platform because my daughter was killed, honestly. Mm. I mean, and really because she was a white girl that was killed. Mm. Black families whose child is killed, they often find their child vilified in the press, find their child made to appear thug-like, or people question, oh, well, maybe they deserved what they got. Mm. And I didn't go through much of that. Whenever somebody would try from the alt-right about Heather, there was a great hue and cry against them. Black families don't get that. Muslim families especially don't get that. 
I, I guess my point is I don't know what Heather would do except she would be more passionate than ever to speak up and speak out. I know she would have been infuriated and driven to even further actions. I mean, I, I don't know for sure how that would have played out. I just know Heather would have been even more impassioned to make solutions. Okay. All right, we must run. But before we go, people need to know more about your Heather Heyer Foundation and to make donations to its mission and goals being accomplished. Can you give us that website one more time, please? HeatherHeyerFoundation.com. So it's www.h-e-a-t-h-e-r-h-e-y-e-r-foundation.com. Excellent. All right, then, Susan, we will talk again for sure. I thank you so much for being on the show and for all you're doing for everybody, no matter what they look like, as long as they act decently and lovingly and and care about their fellow human beings. And if they don't, I will try to talk to them and reason with them. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right, my dear. We have been talking to Susan Bro, the mother of the late and very great paralegal and bartender, Heather Heyer whose death has inspired her mother to carry on a legacy of Heather Heyer with the Heather Heyer Foundation. We thank you so much, Susan, for being on the show, and we hope everyone will reach out and support the Heather Heyer Foundation. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to speak with you again. Same here, Susan. Bye now. Bye. And now, enjoy Watch Fire Music featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Trump's media-assisted grift versus mothers like Susan Bro and Aretha Franklin. 
The evidence of our never being completely a united people is undeniable, particularly every time a segment of the population confuses patriotism with space force grift and belief in a supreme being with faith in a pied piping carnival barker. There are, however, truths we must finally face as self-evident. The ideals of perfection enlightening our American dream in mere mortals is, like evolution, in constant motion. Sometimes seemingly blind ambition following the yellow brick road with no guiding beacon of light from the hill. However, hope's truth is, our journey to perfection doesn't require perfection, only effective peaceful assembly. Our dreams of unity, civility, and humanity are nonetheless justifiably encouraged by our courage to learn from our past without repeating it, perhaps even extending joint ownership of justice for all to all. Living in a trumped America where a towering fee allows firmly ensconced organized crime in private enterprise and our multi-leveled governments, there is little value in media headlines and political talking heads unless serving to ignite truth-seeking citizen sleuths. When a people are both poised and tainted by nefarious branding as prerequisite for infectious misconceptions, understanding is bombarded by cravings for the convenience of obvious villains and marketable heroes. However, dispatching Andrew Jackson's racism, John Wilkes Booth's hatred, Trump Pence Sessions' bigotry, Ivanka, Laura Ingram, and Dana Loesch ruse, and denying access to hacks like Putin, Sheldon Adelson, and their Koch brothers is best evidence of American greatness. Now embracing being Newton's equal opposite reaction to evil genius, let freedom ring from sacred parchment through us to Native Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, and Puerto Rico Americans both on the mainland and in Puerto Rico. Regardless of sexual preferences, let us shore up America's New Deal reconstruction for all Americans. Rescuing abused refugee families seeking asylum, we rescue ourselves. Stoking righteous indignation for leadership elected for the proposition that all are created equal, having instead disappeared hundreds of innocents, we receive now the fruits of an administration unhinged from morality. Now let us rise and demand all political parties melt the frigid grip of ice on families running from abusive governments as abusive as our own. And let us eject all conservatives choosing KKK residue of white supremacists as a family value. In a child's distress, mothers are a healing balm. Now it is America that is in distress. And mothers, whether married suburbanites or single millennials, whether Caucasian or full of color, believers in a universe beyond themselves are going it alone. Regardless of political affiliation, mothers remain the too often overlooked power necessary for America to heal itself. Mothers and the women they elect to rebuild community, to reconstruct neighborhoods, to fight the good fight for a better future for all children, including mothers too often invisible to us because of their color, who, like Susan Bro, snatch hope from the jaws of tragedy. Although seldom herald for their heroism over America's 242-year war with itself, 
daughters, wives, and mothers of all colors, all beliefs, all with their own dreams of service to national and individual ideals, have prevailed on the battlefields of preserving children, protecting family and home, and defending every woman's right to income parity. Courage isn't a smearing louse with a tiki torch, and Charlottesville is no more ground zero nor front line in America's infighting over racial equality and gender justice than any town USA. Like Virginia State Police Burke M. M. Bates and Lieutenant H. J. Cullen, Alicia Thomas, Melissa Williams, Miriam Carey, and Tanisha Anderson probably didn't plan on being another tragic but temporary headline. Historically, liberals have been battling conservatives with one arm tied behind our backs, not only by the cold and timid avoiding the arena, but by our own duplicity regarding women and people of color. In America, headlines and heroes are chosen by their eye-catching potential convenient media resale. Because we are addicted to, if we can label it, we can shelve it without expending any energy for internalized empathetic comprehension. Charlottesville's August 2017 was not about Confederate statues, and anyone who says it is, is looking for an easy way out. Charlottesville's August 2017 was proof of what can happen when our institution's top-down ringleaders betray the essence of the land of the free, choosing instead to grant carte blanche to those fearful of losing supremacy over others, whether possessed by the evils of NRA gunmen, corporatism, sexual predators, or government bigots. Neither paralegal Heather Heyer nor her mother Susan Bro began August 12, 2017, expecting or hoping to become media sensations. But unlike the dozens injured that day in Charlottesville by a hate-driven car, death snatched a daughter and enlisted a mother for the work yet to be done. Like mothers everywhere, knowing the fear hate breeds clings desperately to the defense of its last hurrah, Susan Bro, nonetheless persists. Now, let us lift every voice, sing praises for, and follow the example of mothers. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.